It's great to be with you today. Today is an exciting day. I hope everybody is planning on being back here this evening for our, I don't know how many annual Christmas party it is, but it's been going on for a long time. This is a highlight always here at Netherwood Park. We'll meet here at 4.30 for a short devotional. By short, I mean about half an hour. Um, and then we'll break and go over to the gym and we'll have a potluck meal together starting around 5. Um, as that meal is wrapping up, we'll set up for our entertainment for the evening. Um, and it, it will be entertaining. It always is entertaining. It'll be silly. It'll be fun. There'll be a lot of laughter and good time. Um, there is good news about entertainment. If you haven't yet signed up to be part of the evening's festivities, there still is room for a few more acts. So if after worship service, if you come see me, let me know that you'd like to be a part of tonight's entertainment. I would be glad to put you down and let you be a part of that. I've said this in the past. I'll say it again. Really, the only requirement is that you need to have a willingness to humiliate yourself in front of the rest of us. And if you're willing to do that, then you are more than welcome to be a part of tonight's entertainment. So please, if you would do that, let me know, and we'll enjoy our time together tonight. Again, 4.30 in here, 5 o'clock over in the gym, and then the entertainment at some point after we finish eating together. I want to give you a Project 9K update, our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park. To date, we have read 5,092 books of the Bible. Um, a lot of people are turning in a lot of books right now. Those of you who are doing the sprint to the finish, you're finishing up Matthew as you're reading through all of the New Testament. I looked this morning, and if I remember right, close to 30 people in this congregation have already read all the way through the Bible at least once. Um, several have read through twice, and a few have read through, I think, three and four times this year. And a bunch more are really close to having read through the Bible all the way through in this year. So good job. Keep up the good work and continue to report your results as we go into the end of this year. We have that Bible reading challenge because we believe in the power of God's Word. We really believe that every one of us should be involved in daily Bible reading and daily Bible study. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are followers of God, and we should be immersed in the word that God has given us. God has revealed himself to us through his word, and we want to be people of the word. And I want to encourage you as we move into the next year, into 2018, if that's not part of your regular routine, if that's not part of your discipline, to regularly be immersed in the word, I'd really like to encourage you to start that up in 2018 and make that a part of what what you do, a part of who you are daily into God's word. We believe in the power of the word. I also want you to know that we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer is powerful and effective. We are a praying church, and we would love to pray for you. If you came here this morning with something going on in your life or in the life of someone that you know and love that you would like for this congregation to pray for, we'd really encourage you to pull out one of the green cards that you'll find in front of you. If you'd fill out your request and then drop it in one of the collection boxes, we'll pick those up. We'll send them out to over 400 um, email addresses who are waiting to pray for you. So please let us know what your prayer request is so that we can pray for you. We also want you to know that we are a baptizing church. We believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. That we arise out of the water a new creature, washed clean. 
with the old self left behind, with a new self ready to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ, clothed with Jesus Christ, and with a gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us and instruct us. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, if you haven't joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we want to really encourage you to consider doing that and consider doing that soon. We'd love to have a conversation with you about baptism. And to have that conversation, all you need to do is take that same green card. And on the back, if you'd fill out your contact information, check the box that says, I'd like to talk to someone about baptism. We'll contact you right away and we'll have that conversation. We believe in the power of baptism. I also want you to know that we believe in the power of the church. We believe that God gave us the church for a very important reason, and that's because we need each other and because the world needs the church. So we believe in the power of the church universal and the power of the church local. We believe that every Christian should be part of a local congregation, a group of people that they can work with, they can serve with, that they can be instructed by, that they can encourage and be encouraged by. So if you've been attending Netherwood Park for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be identified as a part of this church family, we'd like to have that conversation as well. You can use that same green card, fill out your contact information, and check the box about being a part of this church. And one of us, an elder or a minister, will contact you right away and we'll start having that conversation so we can welcome you into the fellowship here at Netherwood Park. Why don't you take advantage of that as well? Today. Well, today we're continuing in our sermon series from the book of Romans. Today we'll be in the fifth chapter of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, this would be a good time to grab those and turn there. Romans chapter 5. And I want to just give you a, a little bit of information about the upcoming sermon schedule. This will be the last sermon out of Romans for a few weeks. Next week is Christmas Eve. I won't be in town. One of our elders, Larry Cochran, will be speaking to you next week. So be looking forward to that. But we won't be in Romans next week. And then the following Sunday, which is New Year's Eve, I'll be introducing our 2018 theme. And then we'll spend the next couple of Sundays on that new theme, introducing it, talking about it, talking about some of the things that we'll be doing as a congregation throughout 2018 that are related to our theme. And then we'll rejoin our sermon series from the book of Romans later on in January. And I believe this is just the right time to take a break from this series from Romans. Because as we finish up chapter 5, we're going to see that this is the end of Paul's great section on justification. His great section on justification by grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Last week, as we looked at the first part of Romans chapter 5, we heard Paul's beautiful description of what the gospel has done for us. If you'll remember, Paul wrote these words. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? 
Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? What a wonderful summary of what God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ at just the right time, at the perfect time, not a moment too early or a moment too late. While we and all of mankind were completely powerless, when we were completely helpless sinners, Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth and died for us. And in that act, he demonstrated God's love for us. And through that sacrifice, he justified us, he reconciled us, he saved us. And this gives us every reason to greatly rejoice, continually rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that God, God who's the all-powerful one, worked powerfully for us, for us the helpless ones. And so we rejoice. Paul tells us that Jesus, the perfect one, brought perfection to us, to us the sinful ones. And because of that, we should be filled with joy. It's a beautiful picture that Paul paints. A merciful God working powerfully to give the gift of justice to the unjust. To give the gift of reconciliation to the separated. To give the gift of salvation to the lost. It's a beautiful story. And so in turn, the justified, the reconciled, the saved can't help but rejoice in what their God has done for them. It's a beautiful picture. But Paul realizes it's a picture that has a flaw. And the flaw isn't with God, the flaw is with us. See, unfortunately, not all of the saved, not all of the saved rejoice like they were lost and now are found. Unfortunately, not all of the justified and the reconciled are convinced that they were once helpless sinners, that they were once on the outside, that they were once on the wrong side, that they were once in desperate need of rescue. See, Paul knows that some of us think that we're pretty powerful. Paul knows that some of us think that we're pretty righteous. He knows that some of us aren't so sure that we deserve that title, powerless sinner. After all, what did we do to deserve that pejorative label? So we object. And our objection sounds something like this. Hey, Paul, what makes you think that we are powerless sinners? And Paul answers our objection this way. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. 
But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Did you catch all that? It's a little hard to sort out, isn't it? Here's Paul's answer to the objection. How did we get labeled powerless sinners when we don't feel particularly powerless and we haven't been all that sinful? Paul says, here's how you got that label. Here's how you became powerless sinners. And Paul says the first step was when sin entered the world through one man. One man, Adam. See, when... Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit when they did the one thing that Paul that God told them they must not do. When they did that one thing, sin and rebellion entered the world. That's step number one. And Paul says step number two is this. He says not only did sin come into the world through that one man and that one act, death entered the world. It entered the world as a penalty for Adam's sin. And mankind has been helpless in the face of death since Adam and Eve's rebellion. That's step two. And then Paul says there's a third step. And I think for us, this is the hardest step for us to accept. Paul says that once death entered the world, he says once death entered the world, then death spread to all mankind because when Adam sinned, everyone sinned. All mankind sin. Paul says we deserve the label helpless sinner because when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And when Adam helplessly faced his mortality, we all helplessly face our mortality. And that may sound like a strange argument to you. And if it does sound like a strange argument, you aren't alone. It's an argument that sounds strange to a lot of our ears. But it's an argument that wouldn't have sounded all that strange to those first century ears. You see, Paul's claim that we all sinned when Adam sinned actually fits in very well with how the Jews had seen God at work since the very beginning of time. They would have been very used to and very comfortable with the idea of having a selected representative to stand in for all of God's people. Father Abraham represented all the people. Moses stood in for all the people. They had solidarity with the judges and the prophets and with King David, all who personally represented and stood in for the people. In our terms now, we might think of it as having a personal representative for your estate or maybe giving someone your power of attorney to act as your agent. Our personal representatives, our agents, stand in for us. They make decisions for us. They act for us. And we have solidarity with them. Whatever they do, it's as if we did it ourselves. And so we participate in. We reap the fruits of their actions for good or ill. For our benefit or for our harm, we reap the fruits of their actions. And so Paul says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. Because just like 
Abraham and Moses and David. Adam is our representative. Adam is our stand-in. He's our agent in whom we have solidarity. So in solidarity with Adam, we share in the fruits of his actions for good or for ill, for our benefit or for our harm. And in Adam's case, his actions as our representative brought us harm. Paul says, since Adam sinned, we all sinned. And since Adam was punished by having to face death, we're all punished by having to helplessly face death. Paul wants us to make sure that we understand that we can't divorce ourselves from Adam's actions. He wants us to understand that we're in Adam, and Adam is certainly in us. And if we're going to claim if we're going to claim kinship with Father Abraham and with Moses and with King David, we also have to claim kinship with Father Adam. And I think for most of us, Paul's argument that we all sinned when Adam sinned makes us want to channel our inner four-year-old and shout out, that's not fair. It's not fair. I mean, after all, we didn't choose Adam as our personal representative. We didn't select Adam as our attorney. We didn't give him that authority. We didn't get a chance to vote on Adam to represent us. So why should we suffer for what he did? That isn't fair. I want to ask you a question. Do you really want fair? Do you really want fair? Listen as Paul continues. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. He says, for the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Paul says again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man, Adam's sin. It says that judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more? will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that it just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we sure we want fair? Are we certain that we want to distance ourselves from Adam? Are we sure that we want to represent ourselves? 
See, Paul's saying we might want to pause and think our fairness complaint all the way through. Paul says we probably should be careful about hastily divorcing ourselves from Adam. And Paul says we definitely should rethink the wisdom of representing ourselves. Remember, Paul has already clearly established that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short. Paul's already shown that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by their own ability to keep the law. So if we want to fire Adam, if we want to get rid of Adam as our representative, and if we want to replace him with ourselves, we'd just be substituting one sinner for another. We'd just be substituting our sin for Adam's sin and our helplessness for his helplessness. If we had to represent ourselves before God, we'd have no defense at all. And by itself, that's not very good news, is it? It's not very good news knowing that we're helpless sinners when we have solidarity with Adam, and we're helpless sinners if we don't have solidarity with Adam. So representing ourselves may be fair, but it isn't good news. And Paul comes bringing good news. So what's the good news, Paul? Well, the good news, Paul says, is that not only were we represented by Adam, we're also represented by Jesus Christ. And if we weren't too thrilled with having Adam as our personal representative, how do we feel about having Jesus Christ as our personal representative? If we weren't too crazy about having Adam as our agent... How about having Jesus Christ as our agent? If we didn't like having Adam as our stand-in, how do we feel about having Jesus stand in for us? And if we don't think it's fair that we have to share in the consequences of Adam's actions, how do we feel about getting to share in the consequences of Jesus' actions? If we don't like being told that we are in Adam and Adam is in us, how do we like being told that we're in Jesus and Jesus is in us? The good news is that our story didn't end with Adam. The good news is that our story needn't end as helpless sinners. Paul says the good news is that not only is Adam's disobedience our disobedience, but Jesus Christ's obedience is our obedience. That's good news. The good news is that Jesus' obedience, the power of his obedience, overwhelms the power of Adam's sin. If we share in Adam's sin, how much more we're able to share in Jesus' perfection. Notice throughout that reading, Paul said, how much more? How much more? The good news of Jesus Christ overwhelms the bad news of Adam. So Paul reminds us. He reminds us that the gift is greater than the trespass. 
the gift given by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ triumphs over the sin that came into the world through Adam. Paul said it this way. He said, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? How much more is the gift than the trespass? How much more? And Paul reassures us that grace is greater than sin. He tells us that the grace that we're standing in is greater than the sin we were living in. Paul phrased it this way. He said, the gift of God is not like the result of Adam's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift of God followed many trespasses, and it brought justification. How much more is grace than judgment? How much more? And Paul tells us that justification overwhelms condemnation. Sin condemned us, but Jesus' sacrifice saves us. Paul said it like this. Just as the result of Adam's trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of Jesus' act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. How much more is justification than condemnation? How much more? And Paul emphasizes that the reign of life triumphs over the reign of death. We were dead in our sins, but now we have been gifted life in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote it this way. He said, if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? How much more is life than death? And Paul affirms that Jesus' obedience nullifies Adam's disobedience. Jesus was obedient for us, and his obedience became our obedience. Paul put it this way. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. How much more? How much more is Jesus' obedience than Adam's sin? And finally, Paul testifies that sin simply can't keep pace with grace. Because grace has no limits. Grace is high and wide and deep. Grace is greater than Adam's sin, and it's greater than my sin, and it's greater than your sin. And Paul said it this way. He said, where sin increased... Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How much more? How much more is God's grace than our sin? How much more? And you know what? 
That isn't fair. Now, what's fair is justice. What's fair is giving everyone exactly what they deserve. No more and no less. Exactly what they deserve. Justice. And when Paul says that we have condemnation for our sin, that's an act of justice. Since all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, all deserve judgment. That's exactly what we deserve. No more, no less. That's what's fair. But the gospel story isn't a story of us receiving what we deserve. No, it's the story of Jesus receiving the punishment that we deserve. And it's the story of us receiving what we simply don't deserve. It's not fair. Now, because of Jesus, we don't receive justice. Instead, we have been justified. Our justification is an act of grace. Because of Jesus, we receive an overwhelming amount more than we ever deserve. Brothers and sisters, that's not fair. That's grace. Brothers and sisters, that's not fair. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not fair. It's the gospel truth. No wonder Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thanks be to you, our God and Father. And thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for not leaving us hopeless sinners in the image of Adam. But instead, Father, sending your son Jesus, God in the flesh, to this earth to live and to die, to make us righteous in his image. Thank you for Jesus who is the Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. It's in him we hope. It's in him we stand. It's Jesus, nothing more and nothing less. Let's stand and sing about our God-given hope in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing.